This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, Podcast. Tony Khan responds to online rumors of low morale backstage in AEW. Ric Flair takes us inside his quote-unquote last match. Freddie Prince Jr. reveals who his champion would have been in his new indie federation. That is before Triple H brought him back to SmackDown to beat the shit out of Drew McIntyre. And Goldberg and Chris Jericho talk about their infamous backstage fight. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to another edition of my show, the Pro Wrestling Podcast. Podcast. I am your boy, Seth Grimes, here to talk another week of professional wrestling. Crazy week in wrestling. It's an awesome time to be a wrestling fan. All kinds of crazy shit going on. It's a wild, unpredictable world that we all live in, and I'm here to just bring you a little slice of that from the world of podcasts and shoot interviews. we got a lot to talk about here this week, but before I do, before I get into it, a couple super quick plugs up front to get them out of the way. If you could like, follow, and subscribe at Seth Grimes Media on TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, and hit the little red subscribe key button down below if you are watching my pretty face on YouTube. And with all that said, let's just go ahead and dive right into our top story this week. Tony Khan claps back to rumors online that morale is low backstage over at the AEW. This, of course, comes as quite a surprise to some of us wrestling fans, as AEW has always been described as the wrestling utopia, right? Everybody leaves the big evil empire of WWE Oh, to go over to All Friends Wrestling and play with their buddies and have all these great dream matches where nobody tells them what their match needs to be or what promos to talk about. And they can just be free to be wrestlers. Well, that's not always the case, at least not for everybody. Rumors of people being upset that they're not getting enough TV time. Super bloated roster, not enough time to showcase everybody. Um, storytelling's a little bit all over the place. We've heard little leaks here and there, um, you know, from Alan Angels when he got released and more from Joey Janela has been pretty vocal about it. Um, but you know, we keep seeing these little cracks and hearing about these little things with AEW and of course, Tony Khan, not one to just sit by and let the internet talk down about his precious company. He was on the Superstar Crossover Podcast this week over on iHeartRadio, and he was asked straight up about these rumors of low morale backstage in AEW, and this is what he had to say in response. Check out this clip. Now, I'll give you kind of a bit of a platform. There's a lot of rumors of, of kind of unhappiness in the locker room, if you will. Um what, what would you say to someone that's like, well, people don't seem to be happy in that locker room right about now. What would you say to those rumors? Well, we have a great crew, and uh, we're very happy with the shows we've been doing. I think we've got a great team of people. I recently did some promotions and added to the team, and I think with the new group, hopefully the communication's only going to get better. And, uh, you know, because I can only be in so many places at one time talking to so many people with such a big team. So I think that'll help. But also, I just in general think we have a really great environment and a really great backstage. I can't get everybody on the show. It is challenging in some ways when you have three hours of television. I get that, you know, if you're looking at a competitor that has seven hours of television, that really the people in that company are all more than twice as likely to be on TV if you look at it that way. So I think it's very competitive for spots, but it also means people have to do the most to maximize the time they do get wherever it is, whether it's on TV or streaming. 
AEW came along and it really kind of revitalized me, refreshed me. And look, I love all the in-ring action that AEW provides. I still contend that they have the better wrestling matches, which is a strong selling point for me. But uh, they are a little weak on the storytelling or a lot of weak on the storytelling. And, you know, they're not utilizing the talent to their full potential. And Tony Khan can tiptoe around this all he wants. He can lie. He can bullshit. He can beat around the bush. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is he is just... The problem with AEW is Tony Khan's not a good booker. Just flat out. We'll just say it like that. I think he needs, uh, at the very least, a booking committee. He needs people around him. Here's where Tony Khan does good, Okay. And he's a nerd, and he used to book his shit in his little notebooks in high school and all that stuff, blah, 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 blah. Um, what he gets right is he's able to keep the action going. He's really good at, you know, dynamite's very explosive. It's very, there's no, it's pacing is so rapid, it's almost hard to digest everything. And I actually, I like that. It's fine. He's very good at creating a jam-packed, episode every once in a while that can be a problem like when uh will hobbs turned on ricky starks uh, a couple weeks ago that was really big but then they just jumped to like a backstage promo they they should have lingered on that a little bit and had the announcers talk about it you know but overall i like the pacing of the show um i like that you know jim Cornette calls them afterbirths where you get a lot of people you know, there's always, after every match, there's the next story kicks in or the next step. You know, somebody's got to run down and get in somebody's face or jump somebody or whatever the case may be. Uh, overall, I, I do like that. But the problem is, I feel like, one, is his storytelling is not that great. There's stories in AEW, but not to the extent of, oh, my God, I got to tune in and see what happens next. I never get that vibe from AEW anymore. Uh, in fact, you know, if there's not a match that I want to see, uh, AEW can be skippable. This has been the problem with Rampage for months and months now. I honestly don't know what the fuck he's doing with Rampage. He has all this main event talent signed to AEW. Great, fantastic talent. And he's turned Rampage into fucking main event, you know? Uh, it's an episode of WWF Superstars. It's really... it's. It's really sad. Every once in a while, he'll have some good stuff on there, but he has the roster to make Rampage a big deal, and he doesn't. And then the ratings are slipping, and and he he wonders why. You know, um, you know. How about you book something that people want to see? I, I I will watch Dynamite every single week. Uh, I've I've only missed a couple weeks, um, and it was in fact after CM Punk got injured and Brian Danielson got injured and like Adam Cole was injured and. You know, there was that stretch there, you know, we're just sort of coming out of that now where like all other top stars were gone. And I feel like it was a little weak at that point, but I feel like he's not telling good enough stories. Uh, there are some stories that are being told, but I don't feel like, like I said, they're not going into enough detail or they're not writing them in the way where, oh my God, I got to see what's happening, happening next, you know, like, uh, you know, there was clearly a story between Punk and MJF that was great. Looks like, obviously, they're trying to do something with Sting and Malachi Black. Uh, they had the story between Darby and Brody King. So they are trying to tell stories, but I don't know that they're just they're just missing the must-see TV element of that. I'm not getting hooked to tune in to see what happens next week. I'm just tuning in because I want to see all the killer matches that they provide, which is a great draw. But wrestling in itself is not a big enough draw in wrestling. Unfortunately, you need the storytelling. The other problem with AEW is they're not using all the talent that they have. They're not utilizing them to the best of their abilities. They have this bloated ass roster. All this money was spent, and it seems like the money gets spent to have the big surprise moment oh my god look who's in aew and then they just shit the bed you know like um miro what the fuck is going on with miro why is miro not being utilized to his max he's what fucking sending in little mystery promos about the house of black nobody even knows what the fuck miro's doing miro 
barely knows what the fuck Miro is doing. Matter of fact, the guy couldn't even, they couldn't even find a spot for Miro on AEW TV, as Miro said on Renee Paquette's podcast this week. Check out this clip. You know, you kind of stay busy. You were off TV for a little while out doing something, yeah? I was off TV because I couldn't get a spot in. <laughs> couldn't get booked, brother. Couldn't get booked. You can't find a spot for Miro on your TV? Miro's a fucking awesome talent. He's an amazing talent. He's a killer. He's a monster. He's a beast. If he's not, if you can't fit him in a dynamite at least every other week. And and here's the other thing, too, is, is you don't have to use every guy on every show. You know, you can rotate guys around. Like UFC doesn't have Conor McGregor in every main event, right? So I, I'm not even opposed to wrestlers getting the week off or you know sometimes you're on rampage sometimes you're on dynamite sometimes you're on battle of the belts you know who knows where you turn up but you got full access to this amazing roster miro is criminally underutilized malachi black is criminally underutilized i would even argue the blackpool combat club is a poor use of guys like claudio castagnoli and brian danielson ftr what the fuck are you doing with ftr why are they off of tv for weeks and weeks and weeks even if dax is injured and that's the case put them on tv in some way he can still come out and cut an eight-year-old girl promo can't he they can still do some sort of backstage vignette. You can still show highlights of their match with the Briscoes. And, and the whole thing with the Young Bucks and and Young Bucks, we've heard, are, are basically ducking FTR. And it's clear as day. You know, at first I thought it was rumor or whatever because they did, you know, the long-term storytelling where they came back and did the job for FTR in the second match. Um, but obviously. It seemed like when the Young Bucks were tag team champions and FTR was winning every tag team title in the entire world, that the path was set. They were destined to collide for the rubber match, right? The third match. Who is the greatest tag team of all time? Winner takes all at all out for the tag team titles. That's would have that it see the story writes itself but then the young bucks are like yeah you know what we're gonna drop the tag team titles and we're gonna go wrestle in the trios division so we don't have to drop the belts to ftr it's fucking ridiculous i just feel like aew is a big clusterfuck tony khan's great at identifying what talent is best to sign and he's great at putting them in great matches beyond that He's not utilizing his talent. He's not utilizing the storylines to the best of his ability. He's not putting the talent on TV enough. And if they're getting frustrated backstage because they're not getting enough TV time or they're not getting the right stories. I haven't even seen Britt Baker in a long time other than like backstage shit. I know she just had a tag match or whatever, but like, come on, man. She's a fucking star. Put her out front and center. The, the AEW to me is not as good as it could be, and it breaks my heart. Now, I do think, I, I did say last week, I believe, that AEW is going to be around a long time. They're not going to be a flash in the pan like WCW. But if they want to crack that million, if they want to get over that hump of being able to, will they or won't they break a million, you know, some weeks are a little over, some weeks are a little under. They, they are stagnant. They are not moving up in the ratings at all. And though I've always also been a proponent of ratings are not the end-all, be-all, and there's other things to consider, you know, uh, online, YouTube, uh, you know, interaction and that sort of thing. Um, overall, I think AEW's, AEW's in a weak position right now, especially with Triple H taking back over. Uh, the reins of creative now for the entire company. I really think uh, they're going to be in trouble because Tony Khan's product could compete with a Vince McMahon because Vince McMahon was a shitty booker. Vince McMahon put on a terrible show. Vince McMahon abused talent, misused talent, underappreciated talent, overworked talent, you know? Um, but now it's a market where... Talent's going to want to go work for Trips, and Triple H is going to put on a fun show. 
And he's going to put on an exciting show that's going to make sense. And it's going to tell stories. And though NXT wasn't the be-all, end-all either, I still think AEW has things over NXT that NXT didn't even have under Triple H's reign. So they're still going to be competitive, but I would say uh, Tony Khan's in a position right now where he needs to really stop trying to deflect. And I know publicly he, he you know, is one thing where he's going to be on this podcast and be like, no, everybody's happy backstage. It's all friends. We're all just, everybody loves everything, you know? Um, but he really needs to kind of uh, take notice of what he's hearing, what the rumors are, what's going on, what people are saying backstage, and he needs to adjust. And I think some of these new hires that he has, you know, are these promotions, not new hires. Well, Madison Rain's a new hire, but like Tony Schiavone got a promotion and, and Sanjay Dutt got a promotion, right? I think that, yeah, Sanjay did. Um, so, you know, he's moving some pieces around backstage that will hopefully help with at least the communication part of things. But Tony needs to start utilizing talents better and he needs to start telling better stories. And honestly, I think what it comes down to is he's got a little bit of an ego to himself about, I think I, I am the booker of the year. You know, I think he takes that to heart. And he's just, he's really not. He, he makes great matches. He's a great matchmaker. He's a fantastic matchmaker. Um, and, and I feel like he utilizes talent well, like, uh, you know, using like, um, he was always great at using like 2.0 and Daniel Garcia uh, along in conjunct to get his main event talent over. You know, he's really good at booking those kind of matches. But why do I want to tune in? What's compelling me to watch next? You know what I mean? CM Punk's back. That's great. He made his return. He did a face-to-face -face with Moxley. I want to see what happens next week now. I want to tune in and, and see how that plays out. But really, what the fuck else do, I, do you have to look forward to in AEW? So uh, he's got he's to look in the mirror, man. He's got to, and I think the, the best route to fix that is to, he needs to build a little bit of a booking team around him. Needs to utilize some of those smart brains like a William Regal, a Jim Ross on the roster, and and uh, get a couple other guys in the mix and and really put together a team of people to kind of bounce ideas off of and pitch ideas to him. And he can still be the boss man and he can still make the final decisions, but I think he's overstretching himself to think that he can just book everything masterfully like that. And I won't be surprised if we start to hear more rumors of people being unhappy with their place in AEW. Woo! The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, coming off of his last match. This pay-per-view apparently did huge numbers. Uh, the second biggest indie professional wrestling show of all time behind All In. Isn't that insane? Of course, this was Conrad Thompson behind the whole thing. And uh, Conrad and Ric Flair did a full podcast this week, taking us inside the last match. Apparently, uh, Conrad did the same thing on Jeff Jarrett's podcast, My World. But, of course, those of you that follow my show know that I have a no Jeff Jarrett policy here on the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. So I didn't listen to that one. So I didn't get that side of it, but I did listen to Ric Flair's podcast and got the inside scoop on the entire show. A huge financial success, a huge critical success uh, by all accounts other than the main event itself, which kind of fell apart as Ric Flair passed out twice during the match. And uh, what happened there? Was it his heart? Did his heart give out? Did he almost die? Hear it from the man himself. Woo! Check out this clip. No, no. While I was down, I passed out again. I just passed out. And man is going, sir, you have to wake up. I have the brass knuckles. Sir, you have to wake up. <laughs> okay, so I, I, then I woke up. I knew where we were, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom, and we're home. But um, <laughs> I started to cut twice during the match. I, I, I went completely black. But it was it was all a dehydration. I, mean, I had two doctors in there right away with me and everything. And the Undertaker came running in and said, "I had I had like six beers there." He, he, Undertaker, you know, Taker. He, he took him he took him out of my hand and said, "You're drinking two, two two Gatorades first. I said, "Gatorade." 
So I drank two, and that was that's all it was. I, 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 un, I underestimated the importance of keeping hydrated. Yeah. But I'll just start out right now by saying I wish I hadn't said it was my last match. <laughs> that, that, that's going to get heat. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a time out you, right you, now. You, you, think, you think we can do it again next year? <laughs> no. What are you doing? Come on. Oh, God. What am I going to do with my – I'm not ready to go to the movie theater yet. Yeah, so according to Rick, he was just dehydrated. He just underestimated the body's necessity for water as he goes into his biggest professional wrestling match of his career since probably since his retirement match against Shawn Michaels, I would imagine. His most hyped match since that one at the very least. A huge, huge success um you heard rick flair say at the end there you know that he's sorry that it was he he said it was his last match and he asked conrad if he could do it again next year um so i i i honestly i give it a 50 50 that this was rick's last match i think you know conrad's gonna be sad at him if he does do another match you know after all the build and everything that this was his last match but uh, the man still wants to wrestle, and I got a little bit to say about that as well um, that I can get into here in a moment. Uh, but Conrad, uh, on top of all that, just with the huge success of this event, being the second biggest indie show of all time ever behind the All In show, which kicked off AEW essentially, uh, Conrad apparently has filed a trademark for was it southern tra- cha- uh, or south southern i think it's southern championship wrestling or something to that effect southeastern champion southwest i don't fucking know something with south championship wrestling in the name and uh, apparently filing that trademark he has talked about uh, uh booker t even came out and said that he was approached about harlem heat having their last match next year so apparently Conrad Thompson has decided that this is something that he wants to keep doing every year, you know. Uh, he's got the star cast that he does every year. And uh, this being the second most successful indie promotion of all time, why wouldn't he continue? You know, Booker T's even come out and said that he was approached to do Harlem Heat's last match next year. So I don't know if it's going to be the retirement match gimmick every year where it's just going to be advertised as somebody's last match or if he's just going to go a complete indie route who knows uh but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out and where that goes we have not seen the last of conrad thompson's indie federation and uh, as far as rick flair um i don't know that this will even be his last match you know he's been pretty outspoken that he's still feeling good and look uh, I see a lot of hate online, especially because Rick almost died in this match, of course, and he barely got through it. But, uh, you know, everybody's trying to keep the old man on the couch, you know. Uh, just sit down and take your nap, Grandpa. Eat your pills and take your nap. And uh, honestly, like, I feel like that's a bad take because put yourself in Ric Flair's shoes, right? Wrestling is what the man loves. Drinking at the bar and being Ric Flair is what the man loves. He doesn't want to take it easy now and go fucking take his nap and sit in his rocking chair and hold his grandkids. He wants to be the Nates. This is where he's most happiest. And it's who the fuck are we to sit and judge him or tell him what he should and should not be doing with his life. You know what? I I should be so lucky to die doing what I love. You know, I've seen a lot of references of, oh, he's just going to be Randy the Ram and going to die in the ring. Fucking great. What's wrong with that? Why is that a bad thing? Oh, no, he died doing something that he loved more than anything ever. You know, he died where he wanted to be, doing what he wanted to do, being who he wanted to be, where he was most happy, where he was most comfortable. Oh, no. You know, I'd much rather see him die in the rocking chair with fucking tubes and a fucking in an air tank and, you know, fuck off with all that shit. You know, I get the sentiment. We all care about Rick. We all want to see him be healthy and safe and whatever. But 
put yourself in his shoes, man. If people, he's out there trying to be the Nate. He loves being the Nate. You know, and I was even there at one point too. You know, the guy almost died. And now he wants to go back out. He was told not to drink and all that. And now he's out drinking all the time again and stuff, partying. He can't stay away from the life. But, you know, at this point, I'm going to back up off that because I put myself in his shoes. And look, man, like, if people, people are trying to keep him away from doing what makes him happy doing what he loves. There is nothing more important in the world than being Ric Flair to this man. So let him be Ric Flair. Who are we to take that away from him? Who are we to say, no, you're an old man now. Your place is in your rocking chair and taking naps and fucking... It's just unfair. And it's unfair to say, oh, he's going to be Randy the Ram. He should be so lucky to be Randy the Ram. It would suck for whoever's in the crowd live... You know, that's not a, that's an awkward crowd uh, to be sitting in. You know what I mean? Or, uh, you know, you don't want the liability of whoever is promoting that show or whoever's wrestling against them hits him with a stiff shot and the man passes out and dies. All that shit are all great reasons for him to not. I'm not saying he should die in the ring, but fuck. Put yourself in his shoes. What do you love doing most? What is your passion? What's your favorite thing in the whole world would you rather die doing that or would you rather die being an old man safe in your rocking chair? Oh, I played it safe my last 10 years, you know, instead of just living life to its fullest, you know, one day at a time, you know, he's fucking, this man was out bleeding all over the ring and, you know, in one of the biggest indie crowds of all time ever. And then he was out fucking partying with Kid Rock, getting wasted at the bar that's the life, man. This dude's out promoting his marijuana brand now, and he's out fucking, he's got wings, he's got fucking woo wings and shit like nature, boy. You know, uh, you know, I've been outspoken against nature. I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's got a lot of problems, but I'm not going to sit here anymore and say the man needs to retire or stop doing what he's doing or slow down. You know, he is happiest in the ring. And if that's where he dies, then he dies going out doing what made him happier than anything in the whole wide world. And I think we all need to respect that and appreciate that. Have we seen the end of Ric Flair? I don't know. Hard to say. Um, like I said, I give it a 50-50 just because this was such a spectacle. How many times, you know, Terry Funk was famous for having a million retirement matches. How many times is Rick going to come out of retirement for one more match? But he's still got the itch. He's still got the thirst, and he's obviously not satisfied with how this match went off and feels like he has more to give, so we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but, you know, get off the man's ass. Let the let the nature be the nature, okay? For better or for worse, it's not your decision to make. Freddie Prince Jr. was on the Wrestling with Freddie podcast this week talking about his up-and-coming wrestling federation. Freddie's on record saying that he is in the process of starting his own independent wrestling federation out in California. He is working on it now. This isn't something he hopes to do one day. He is actively putting it together. So this is something that is imminent. And uh, apparently he had already started planning uh, a roster and putting together a team for this. And sad for him to say, uh, he, he had said on his podcast this week that he had already been in talks with Karrion Cross for Killer Cross to be his champion. He was going to bring in both Cross and Scarlet to his indie fed, and he was going to build the federation around them. You know, if they weren't scooped up by AEW or scooped back up by WWE, Karrion Cross was going to be the centerpiece for Freddie Prince Jr.'s wrestling promotion. And now all that shit's out the window. Check out this clip. So I announced on the first season of this and with Ariel Helwani that I was starting a wrestling federation, which I still am, but I'm working hard at it. And my champion, and I've, I'd spoken with him a lot, was going to be Killer Cross. And he was my guy. I was building the whole thing around him. We had kind of worked on the story. We had talked about philosophy, talked about his character, his wife's character, with the caveat of, hey, you can't 
hold your career up to make my thing go. Right. So I said, if you get other offers, like, and you need to make a living, go make a living, man. On Wednesday, I think it was, or no, it's actually Thursday. It was the day before SmackDown. I get a text that says, Hey, man, I need some advice. Uh, let's chat. And so I already know. I already know. And I almost wrote him the day before, Hey, with Vince gone, you're going to get a call from Hunter. I literally wrote this text and I said, He's going to offer you the moon. And if you say no, you're out of your mind. So don't trip. And then I deleted the whole text because I didn't want to like freak him out. So then the very next day, I get this text from him. Can we talk? I need some advice. We start chatting. And he says, I talked to Hunter. They made an offer and it's real. And I, I think I, I believe him when he's telling me what's going to happen. And uh, you and I need to talk. I said, yeah, brother. I said, I, and I told him what I just told you. I was like, dude, I wrote you a text yesterday that I deleted because I knew this was going to happen once Vince uh, left the company. And so we talked about it. I said, look, you'd be crazy to chase my dream in place of yours. Your dream was never to be, I don't want to say the name of my federation, but your dream was never to be the, you know, the Freddie P champion. It was to be the WWE champion. I said, I couldn't hold you up. That's funny. Poor Freddie. Poor Freddie got his top guy stolen away from him already. He should have known that was going to happen. As a matter of fact, he did. He said, you know, he was texting. He had a text that he actually deleted. He was going to send to Cross as soon as Triple H took back over WWE. He's like, you know, they're going to call you, right? Um, and they did. They called him right back because Triple H knows the value in carrying Cross. I think uh, most of us do. You know, he's not the greatest wrestler in the world, but he's a star. And he just exudes that WWE-esque. You know, I can't believe Vince McMahon botched him as bad as he did when he brought him in and did the leather fucking, you know, he was like the uh, newest member of Demolition or something. Um, it's just, what were you thinking? Gladiator? No Scarlet? Like that whole package in NXT with the entrance and the hourglass and the fucking everything that they were doing in NXT was just just screamed WWE superstar, right? So under Triple H's reign, we're seeing a lot of big changes already, and we're seeing some of those wrongs get righted again. And there's there's rumors that more is coming. You know, I've seen a lot of buzz online that Bray Wyatt's been contacted by Triple H now to come back. And, you know, um, Triple H has been hard at work bringing back the pieces of the company that he was building NXT around that were let go for one reason or another or misused by Vince McMahon. Those wrongs are being righted by Triple H. Now he's bringing these people back and he's building his new company around them, his vision for the company. And this is interesting. I wonder how Nick Khan is taking this because Nick Khan was all accounts the person making these cuts to save money on the budget and some of these were very talented people so uh, budget cuts is kind of a, a weird way to consider a reason to cut a guy like Bray Wyatt who's making you a shit ton of money on t-shirts and that kind of stuff the potential of a carrying cross uh, but it seems like Triple H has his finger on the pulse of what the fans want to see, or at least who he wants to build his federation around. Now that he's in con in control of creative and in control of talent relations, he's not the be-all, end-all. He's not the boss, man. That's Steph and Nick Khan. Um, but he's fucking the boss. Uh, probably, you know, not Nick Khan, as far as I'm aware. I don't think he's fucking Nick Khan. But he is fucking Stephanie. So, I mean, you know... Uh, when they lay in bed at night, their little pillow, pillow talk, I'm sure they, they discuss storylines for WWE and whatnot, but no. Um, Triple H bringing back Karrion Cross was a huge plus for WWE, a huge, huge coup for Karrion. And it sucks for Freddie Prince that he lost his planned champion and that he had already reached out to Karrion and he had already had that talk with Karrion and Scarlett that they were going to be basically the centerpiece of his company that he was going to build around. Now he needs to kind of uh, rethink that game plan, you know, and uh, come up with a new first champion. But uh, it's a fun little story. I wanted to share it with you, and I'm glad that Freddie opened up about that, kind of revealed that little bit of tidbit there. 
And it's cool to see that Carrion's got a place now on the main roster and that he's going to have that NXT presentation with the Hourglass, with Scarlet. It's a main event presentation and it's going to take off. Bill Goldberg was on Talk Is Jericho this week, the 900th episode of Talk Is Jericho, which is a huge milestone, not just for pro wrestling podcasts, but for podcasts in general. Like Jericho is one of the OG podcasts, and he's still up there in the rankings. He's still one of the top podcasts. So props to Jericho and everything that he's been able to achieve. And Goldberg was a wonderful guest on the show. Uh, him and him and Jericho seem to have a pretty good rapport. They seem to be pretty friendly. I didn't know that they were friends uh, in the real world, but apparently they are very friendly with each other. And uh, Goldberg was a fantastic guest. You know, he's very open, talking about all things. You know, from his beef with Bret Hart to his matches with Brock Lesnar. You know, the first match where they were booed out of the building to the, the match when Goldberg came back and beat Brock Lesnar in like 90 seconds. Uh, you know, uh, just a really great conversation that they had. They covered a lot of topics. Goldberg came across as very humble, very appreciative for everything that he has. Um, but it was in this clip here where uh, they talked about the fight that they got into backstage. You know, we've heard parts of this before we've heard Jericho talk about it in the past and I think we've heard Goldberg talk about it too but I've never heard the two of them get together and talk about it together and uh, this is what they had to say about it check out this clip I firmly believe that you know we had our backstage you know brouhaha scuffle backstage that was manipulated I think by other people to kind of pit us against each other Yes. Do you feel I, I, you know what I mean, right? A hundred percent. You know, things in life happen for a reason, and and I don't right. believe that one was was because of the true animosity you and I had for each other. It was a stage that was set by other people. Yeah, and uh, we just followed out the storyline. <laughs> you know, or I, I, I don't yeah, I will apologize to the end of my days for that. Me too, man. Once again, face-to-face, that caused a lot of issues. But actually, once we got that out of our system, we did work together that summer quite a few times. We even had a pay-per-view. But yeah, that, that was that was not something I was really very uh, proud about either, especially the fact that it was you know online 20 minutes later. That's why I was like, some this was all a setup. And we, we, we fell for it, a thousand percent, man. You know? Bingo, bingo. There's no question about it. And, you know... Like I say, things happen for a reason. Life's too short to hold grudges by any stretch. And I like to think that it happened so that you and I can get closer as friends, as closer as human beings. So agree. I was terrified during that, that fight, by the way. I was like, he's going to kill me. He's going to rip my head off. He's going to kill me. The only thing I remember is holding a Coors Light and putting it down and going, oh, really? Is this? I mean, God, why? You know, it was just, it was horrible, dude. It was horrible. If I could erase, if I could erase ten minutes of my life, that would that would surely be five of it. <laughs> well, it sure created a, a legend, uh, a legendary uh, uh, story. That's for sure. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you kicked my ass pretty good, man. Oh yeah, I stretched you. It's interesting that they seem to think that this was set up a little bit. That they were pushed into this backstage altercation. That they were egged on by people. You know, that there were people trying to kind of stir the pot a little bit, stir shit up and get these people to uh, go at each other, you know, be at each other's neck. And, uh, you know, it's fun to hear, you know, like Jericho just flat out admit, like, I was scared. I was scared. This guy's going to rip my head off, he said. Um, You know, I'd be scared to fight Goldberg, too, you know. Uh, We talked about this a couple weeks ago um, when Jericho was talking like a big tough guy with his fight with Brock Lesnar, you know. He's like, I was going to bite his nose off, and I'd fight him again now, too, you know. Um, But, you know, clearly if he was scared of Goldberg, he'd be scared of Brock Lesnar as well. So it was fun to hear him admit that and just kind of talk about, you know, like like they're all two buddies now. That tends to be the case with guys, right? You know, you got a beef you scrap it out and then suddenly like you're just at peace with each other you know and everything's fine and you kind of have that new respect for each other 
after scrapping it out a little bit. And especially after the two of them were kind of able to realize that they, they were probably pushed into this by other people in the locker room. You know, they were kind of uh, uh, goaded into having this little beef with each other. And that they, they seem to get along just fine now. So uh, this will always remain one of the most infamous fights in backstage history for professional wrestling. Jericho's got a couple of those famously. And, uh, you know, Goldberg's got a couple of those too famously. But it's great to hear that the two of them get along now. And it's just fun to listen to Goldberg talk. You know, Goldberg always got a bad reputation for being a guy that wasn't really a fan of the business and kind of was just there for the money and that sort of thing. And he seems to have, like, a whole new respect for the professional wrestling business now. He seems to be more humble, more chill. And I really enjoy listening to him. Anytime he does an interview, he's got a lot of great insight. He's got a very good perspective. You know, where he's coming from seems to be from a very innocent, pure place. Nowadays, it's not from a place of ego or or uh, anything like that. So highly recommend. This is one of the better Goldberg interviews I've ever heard, to be honest with you. And just the way that these two were talking like they were old friends, you know, and uh, it just came off really uh, relatable and it just a lot of good stories. They covered a lot of ground in Goldberg's career, and I thought we got a lot of really honest answers. Another thing that made the news rounds this week from this was that uh, Goldberg is done apologizing for the Bret Hart thing, you know. Um, I didn't pick that part of this conversation to, to tackle for this episode because I covered it a couple weeks ago. Goldberg was on uh, some kind of ESPN podcast or something, and he had mentioned that he's basically done with it now and a little bit pissed off, frankly, that Brett keeps you know bringing it up everywhere. Um, and that's his right. You know, Brett can be pissed off about it all he wants, but Goldberg's right, too. He's apologized enough for this. You know, how, how many times can he go on an interview and say how sorry he is and how bad he feels? And he, you know, wears everything on his sleeve. He takes things to heart and, and things affect him deeply. You know, he's a sensitive guy deep down. And, you know, he said that he'll carry this to his grave. He said it in this interview, too, and he said it on that ESPN one. This is something he'll carry with him to his grave, what he did to Brett, you know. Um, but, you know, he feels terrible about it, but he's done apologizing about it. He says it every time he talks. And at this point, you know, Brett doesn't seem to forgive him. So how many more times can Goldberg come on and try to earn that forgiveness from Brett before he just says, you know what, fuck you, stay mad then. That's fine, you know. Uh, I'm done kissing your ass about it. And, you know, I respect that, too. He doesn't need to come out. He's said it over and over and over. He doesn't need to keep coming out and begging for forgiveness from Bret Hart, who is a stubborn old man who holds grudges anyway. Bret Hart's bitter. You know, he doesn't, he's not, you know, I would venture to say that he probably hasn't forgiven Sean, even though they, you know, did the whole on-air handshake and hug and stuff. I bet you if you got him cornered he'd probably still uh have a lot of bad things to say about Shawn michaels so brett you know is is not likely to ever forgive goldberg and i don't forgive gold or i don't uh you know i don't hold it against goldberg for just not being willing to play this game anymore you know i've said my piece i've apologized over and over I've laid my heart out to you, Brett, and you still haven't acknowledged it. You still haven't forgiven me, so fuck it. I'm done. And uh, it was just a really great interview with Goldberg. I highly recommend going out of your way to check out that one. 900th episode of Talk is Jericho. The Total Package, Lex Luger was on the Busted Open podcast this week talking about his A&E biography that aired this past weekend about his career, the highs and the lows, the tragedies, the triumphs and all of that. And Luger was very open on Busted Open talking with Bully and Mark Henry about his career, about his life and about those ups and downs. 
And specifically, they got into the reputation that Luger had for a lot of his career of just being an arrogant asshole, being a smug prick motherfucker with a bad attitude, with no respect or appreciation for the wrestling business. This was kind of how he was painted in the A&E biography. Of course, this was until recent years where he's found God and he, you know, he's recently handicapped and all of that. So he's kind of turned his life around by all accounts as a very likable, happy person, you know, uh, at peace, has a whole new respect and everything. And it really shows that people can change. Um, but a lot of people had a lot of bad things to say and think about him back in the day. And uh, does Luger disagree with that? Does he take that to heart? Does he have a beef with that? Check out this clip and see what Luger has to think about how he was portrayed in the biography and what he has to say about people's take on how he was back in the day. Lex, you were talking about some of the controversial stuff, quote unquote, controversial stuff that they covered in the documentary. Do you think that they covered it in a fair way? Oh, definitely. I mean, some of the things were a little... A little different than maybe I would recall it, but I thought it was overall it was uh, very well uh, well done. They, um, hey, there's a, a lot of stuff in there, and it was. I'm very transparent about my life. I I speak to young people now, and um, I I can definitely tell them what not to do. <laughs> when it when it when it comes to when it a lot you know a lot of people talk about your your. I guess the arrogance or the arrogant way you may have carried yourself back in the day. And in wrestling, we have this thing called perception versus reality. Was this a perception about you or was it definitely a reality? You know, really kind of both. <laughs> when I was watching, I go, man, they should just, they should have left me a heel back then. <laughs> My whole career. Cause basically, you know, some of the guys like really, when you think about it, uh, my my natural personality back then was I was very confident, and it came across. A lot of people said arrogant, and I get it. And I always believed in myself, and that I think that definitely air came out. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I was laughing. I was my friends were watching me. I was like, "Man, they should just left me here. I was a natural heel." <laughs> Luger coming off as just a very humble guy, a very sweet man, definitely not anything like he was portrayed as back in the day. You know, the arrogance, the narcissist Lex Luger, you know, Luke, Luger still maintains that he should have always been a heel, that that was his natural personality. And, uh, you know, look, he was a great baby face, you know, maybe it wasn't uh, something that suited him, but I thought, you know, he had a decent little run with his all-American gimmick until he lost to Yokozuna at SummerSlam, and that pretty much killed that off for him, and, you know, and then it was Bret Hart time after that. But, you know, Luger, and he was a fantastic heel, too, as the narcissist in WWE, he was bashing everybody with the steel plate in his elbow, even in WCW, I remember when he had the run as WCW champion when he was managed by Harley Race, and uh, he was beating everybody's ass back then. Uh, it was a great little, it was a great little run for Luger. And then in the Nitro days, when he, you know, he was teaming up with Sting, and and just you know, it was up until the Wolf Pack, all that stuff. Luger, you know, is is in my opinion, absolutely a Hall of Fame worthy wrestler. He's had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. I'm glad that he's been able to turn his life around. It sucks that it's taken so much tragedy for that to happen. Not just his uh, handicap, you know, where he, he is pretty much bound to a wheelchair now. He is able to get up out of it if he wants to. But he, as he describes it, he could just kind of shut off at a moment's notice and just... You know, so he, he there's he ne kind of needs that chair as just there to kind of be his fail safe, you know, because he never knows when his body is going to shut down on him. Um, and then, of course, you know, the tragedy with Liz and everything that happened around that. Apparently Luger was arrested so many times and all of that. You know, it's sad that it took all of that to kind of turn his life around. But sometimes those things happen for a reason, you know, and uh, it takes 
a good wake up call to realize and to change in life. And I do believe everybody can change. I don't believe that, you know, when somebody's one way, they're always that way. You know, I do. And, and when people find religion, they find God, they find Christ, that's tends to be a good catalyst for people to ch- kind of change the way that they look at things in life, to get the egotisticalness out of them, to selfishness, gives them a higher purpose and a higher awareness of life around them and, and that sort of thing. So good on Lex. And, and he seems to be very well liked nowadays. Eric Bischoff was on Busted Open this week, had tons of great things to say about Lex, considers him a good close friend. It's interesting to hear how all these things, you know, like Eric Bischoff was a guy who was like, I hated Lex Luger. Didn't even want to hire the guy. Didn't want anything to do with him. And now he's actually would use the word love. I love Lex Luger. You know, I talk to him regularly. So like I said, good on Lex. I'm glad he was able to turn his life around, whatever the the catalyst was for that. And, um, you know, I do hope that he does get his Hall of Fame moment. He deserves it. He's not like, a, a, oh, we need to fill a spot. I guess we could squeeze Lex Luger into that spot. He's had a Hall of Fame career. You know, ever since I was a little kid, I grew up watching Lex Luger. Even before his bad guy run with Harley Race as the manager, I didn't quite follow him when he was like in the Four Horsemen, but I remember very clearly there was uh, either a Super Brawl or a Clash of Champions where he was tag team with Sting against the Steiner brothers. I very vividly remember that match and, um, you know, up through his title run and then going to WWF as the narcissist and all that stuff. Um, he was one of the very early people that I remember crossing over from WCW to WWF, you know, where it's like, Oh, I know that guy when he showed up in the world bodybuilding federation, which was a big sham and gimmick to begin with just to get Lex over in the building and to work around the whole contract thing that was, you know, the contract tampering. Um, but yeah, hall of famer in my book. And I'm glad that he's turned his life around. And I highly recommend seeking out this interview or just any interview with Luger lately. Or just go watch his biography. He's a humble guy. He takes it all on the chin. He acknowledges that he was kind of a piece of shit back in the day. And by all accounts, he's not now. And good for him. I hate juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life, I proudly identified as a juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit. Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? (sighs) Yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld. The phenomenal AJ Styles was on Inside the Ropes this week, talking all about his WWE career. And it was in this clip that he was asked about what it's like working for Triple H now compared to working for Vince McMahon previously. And uh, this question, seemingly no big deal. The answer from AJ Styles kind of caught me by surprise. Check out this clip. Obviously, Triple H is a guy that you respect and admired, and I think it's fair to say he played a big role in bringing you to the company, right, at once upon a time. What's it like to uh, not only have him again and him be healthy, which, of course, is number one, uh, but two, being able to work closely with him again? Well, you know, it's only been, what, two, three weeks? weeks. Yeah. Uh, So I haven't really had that opportunity to really, really, you know, sit down with him and and, and chat it up with him because, I mean, at this point, it, you're just so busy in that position and it's hard to, to find time. Um, it's different for sure, because it's not Vince. And uh, I had a great relationship with Vince. Um, it's, 
it's not bad or anything. I'm very optimistic about how everything is going. Uh, it's just, it's just different. I never mm. thought I, I, there'd be a time where I wouldn't work for Vince. And uh, so I'm just getting used to it, just like everyone else. Again, it's not a bad thing. It's probably a great thing. It's just different. Yeah, AJ's response to this really kind of surprised me because he seemed to kind of tiptoe around it, right? He was beating around the bush a little. He was hesitant. Is there an issue with Triple H that we don't know about? I believe it was Triple H that was responsible for bringing AJ into the WWE, at least at first, and even responsible for getting him on the main roster to start with and not in NXT, which... If you remember, at that time, everybody came up through NXT first. Didn't matter who you were. But AJ Styles was able to bypass that and go straight to the main roster, as he should, because he is a main roster talent. He's not a developmental talent by any stretch. You know, um, and and this just really kind of surprised me because he, he seemed to be a little apprehensive about uh, how to answer this, you know, because he apparently built a really good bond, a really good relationship with Vince McMahon. And, you know, he's talked about this before that, you know, he's been, has a good communication with Vince McMahon, a good rapport with Vince. He has a good understanding with Vince McMahon of what Vince expects from him, what Vince sees in AJ Styles, you know, and, AJ came in wanting to be the best wrestler in the company. And Vince, you know, famously had said, you know, AJ's told the story a number of times where Vince said, I, you know, I have a bunch of wrestlers on the roster that can wrestle and do what you're doing. I need my pit bull. You know, I need a feisty little pit bull and a scrappy little underdog guy, you know, and, and, uh, AJ's like, okay, you know, I, I get that. And, and ever since, he's delivered that for Vince. And it's come out in his character, and it's been a very good, you know, AJ's been used, in my opinion, phenomenally well, pun intended, in the WWE. You know, he's had a couple runs as WWE champion now at this point. He's had a run as the U.S. champion. I think he's had the intercontinental title i'm not sure or tag team champion i believe he's had too he's man you know multiple great high level high profile wrestlemania matches a good run against john cena on top aj styles really was used great even now you know he's an older guy being used to Get some of the younger talent over now. Get Omos over, you know, working with Omos. Having an AJ Styles in his corner to tell him what to do, what not to do. All that shit's great. And AJ, you know, even in this interview, you know, the, the guy interviewing AJ said that he wants another world title run out of AJ. And I do too. I think we all respect AJ to the level and, and appreciate his ability as a top guy. And I do think he certainly has the ability to have another world title run in him but aj appreciates even just being in the way that he's being used now to get other people over like he's very happy with his spot he talked about um you know he was asked about the possibility of going to aew because he has friends over there and, and when that uh, opportunity came up and aj seems to be pretty clear that he's happy in WWE, or at least was under Vince. You know, uh, the way he described this whole situation is that him and Vince had a good relationship and he had a good understanding of what Vince wanted from him and how he wanted to use AJ. And now with Triple H, maybe that's not the case so much. Maybe they don't have as much communication. Maybe uh, Triple H has different ideas for AJ, and AJ feels a little unsure about his place now. Not exactly sure what's going on there. You know, uh, it wasn't said outright. Just you could tell in just the way that AJ answered the question was kind of human and high about it a little bit. And, and he just, you could tell he was trying to be delicate with how he answered that. And he couldn't just straight out say, oh, yeah, Triple H is great. And he did say, you know, it's good and he's sure it'll be fine, but it's different, you know, is what he kept coming back to. It's just different. How is it different? What's different about it? 
And uh, could that change the way that AJ looks at his time in WWE? Maybe it'll get better. Maybe Triple H will recognize that AJ Styles is, you know, a phenomenal champion to have. And we'll give him that run again at the top of the card, which, you know, you can plug AJ into any spot on the card at any time. You want him to be your champion, he can be your champion. You want him to just be... Uh, a guy to have a feud with your champion and end up putting your champion over in the end, he's that guy. If you want to stick him in a tag team and, and have him go on a good tag team run, or you want to put him with just one of the younger guys and help him kind of build that guy up and kind of coach him along, or you want to use AJ to put over younger guys, any role that you want to stick AJ in, he can develop. You know, he he's at the highest of levels of any professional wrestling performer. And uh, I just think, you know, AJ, I hope AJ and Triple H can get along. I hope AJ continues to be happy with his role in WWE. But if not, you know, fuck, I'd love to see him jump on over to AEW and work with those guys too. But, you know, maybe this is a big nothing burger. Maybe I'm reading too much into this and uh, there's nothing really here to report. It just seemed odd the way that he answered that question. And that just, you know, piqued my interest. And I wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit more and see if there's anything under the hood there. See if there's anything to explore between... Uh, AJ now having to work directly with Triple H instead of Vince McMahon, who he was seemed to be so fond of. So go ahead and check out that interview. I have linked it if you're watching this clip uh, or even if you're watching the full episode on YouTube. It'll be linked in the descriptions below as well as on the podcast feed in the description. So go check out that interview. Well, folks, we've made it all the way to the end of a whole nother episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, sticking with for another week of pro wrestling podcast news. Uh, A couple plugs to get out of the way before I let you go. If you could indulge me, please like, follow, and subscribe over at Seth Grimes Media on TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. I do post there regularly, so come hang out. Come follow me over there as well. If you are watching on YouTube, there's a subscribe ski button down below. Just click on that, and then you'll be up to date on any time I drop new content. It will be there for your entertainment if you so choose to indulge. Um, I have put up some bonus content lately. I've been diving in deep to the reactions doing uh reaction videos now so please go ahead and give those a like if you are into some nerdy shit that's what i'm covering i'm doing all the nerdy shit over there as well as just some other random sidebar stuff too reacted to cops setting a dude on fire with their taser so uh, just any kind of fun random stuff I'm leaning into the reaction videos much more here now on the channel. It's not going to take away from this show. This show is always going to be here for you one way or another. But I am going to dive into some extra stuff. And the reactions are one of those other things that I'm doing. So if you are into uh, nerdy stuff and you are curious about some of the other stuff that I might be putting out, Hop on over to the playlist of reactions and check that out. I do have other bonus content as well. I'm going to list it here at the end of the video as one of the suggested videos to watch. It's, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago I did. It was really fun. I did a tier ranking. Everybody's doing the tier rankings on YouTube, right? So I did a tier ranking of all of the pro re- top pro wrestling podcasts as I am the host of the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. But as I did the tier ranking video, that website that I was using, the, the tier ranker, has a like a sister site that does brackets, like a tournament bracket. So I decided to uh, take that and do a full single elimination tournament video Uh, narrowing it down from 32 of the top pro wrestling podcasts all the way down to one. Whereas the tier ranking video, I could put multiple videos in the very top tier, you know, like, you know, this podcast is equal to this podcast and they're all top tiers. You got your mid tiers and your bottom tiers, etc. With the tournament, it's a little bit different. I had to make the tough decision to narrow it down to only one. 
So in my opinion, what is the best pro wrestling podcast of all time ever? Go check out that video. I've linked it at the end. It's, it's fun. I like to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, whether you're watching it or not, or, you know, it's something that you have interest in. It's something that I had fun doing. So I'm going to continue to do more stuff like that, both wrestling related and not. Uh, you know, I'll probably do something for MCU, you know, my I'm a MCU mark and, and superheroes in general. So I'm going to do that kind of stuff and have some fun with that as we go. also got a book out. It's called The Gathering, A Bold Journey into the Belly of the Juggalo Underworld. It is a, it's a novel. It's a, it's a fiction book about a character who hates juggalos, who goes to the gathering of the juggalos. So it's a fun book about a music festival, drug-induced debauchery, and uh, Insane Clown Posse, if you're into that kind of stuff or curious about it. And I do have uh, NFTs out as well. They are pro wrestling-inspired NFTs. It's the Championship Collection, mashing up all of your favorite championship belts in wrestling with all of the top cryptocurrencies. And uh, that's a fun little project that I got on the side as well. If you're into crypto, you can check that out. Links down in the description. That's all I got for you. That's it. Thank you guys for sticking around, checking out a full episode. I will be back next week with more podcast action. Until then, please, please browse around my YouTube channel. Been dumping out tons of content lately. Please indulge in it. Explore. See what else is out there in the world. Peace, love, and pizza. I'm your boy, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life I proudly identified as a juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm, I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit! Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld.